Yes, and welcome back to the home of good news, weird anecdotes from history, and hopefully a few jokes on the way. We've had a brilliant week of good news, and thank you very much for everyone that sent in their good news. And if you want to be featured on the podcast, then please send in your good news to us on the at that's news to me pod Instagram. Got it out. There we go. <laughs> and if you want to follow us and like us on Instagram and like the podcast and send it on, giving you a bit of homework. If you could do that, that would be great and help us out a little bit. This week has been, though, a great week for good news. We have literally over five times the amount of good news that we can actually talk about. So it is uh, amazing. There's so much fuzzing towards us. But we can only tell you about a little bit as much as we can but the good thing is is if you like the instagram our admin support odin he's <laughs> gonna kill me for calling an admin support he's typing furiously uh we'll actually... you just got sacked right there <laughs> <laughs> we'll actually tell you guys about the stuff that we haven't spoke about so your weekly dose of good news can turn to a daily dose of good news if you just follow the instagram uh post but before we get on to any good news, what we need to do is we need to introduce the man that I am with today. He is the man, the writer, the legend himself. Someone had recently said that he is the greatest writer uh, of all time, and he writes like the three best writers of all time combined. That's William Blake, William Shakespeare, and Will Young. They are... <laughs> <laughs> that is Mr... Buster Chater. How are you doing today, Buster? I'm good. Thank you very much for that lovely introduction again. Although when you first started, I thought you were talking about writer, the sort of yogurt sauce that you get with Indian food, and was really, really pleased until it dawned on me that it was a, 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 a W, but there you go. Well, that's actually my least favourite part of an Indian curry, so I would never call you that. I don't like it. It's horrible. Oh, thanks for it. Not my thing. I'm more Sagaloo kind of person, you know. Oh, I love a Sagaloo. Yeah, love a Sagaloo and a mango pickle. Get that. I still have to get that involved. Rare to find a good one. Did you just say mango pickle? Oh yeah, mango pickle with the curry. Mango, it's mango chutney. Pickle chutney is the same thing, you know. It's a no vinegary. No, you Newcastle Northern bastard. That's just wrong (laughs) on so many levels. Please write in whether you say pickle or chutney. (laughs) Uh, and we'll also, while we're here, settle the scone scone debate, and whether it's tea or dinner. No, 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 no. Scone or scone, it doesn't matter because everyone knows what you're talking about. A pickle can be a green little pickle thing, like you know something that's pickled in a jar. It's been pickled, um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And a chutney doesn't necessarily need to. Oh no, sorry. Hang on, hang on. We've we got a correction breaking from producer news. Corner. Here we go. Sky News <laughs> is breaking. We've got breaking news, guys. Uh, and the weird thing is, this isn't breaking news because we record way before you're going to hear this. Um, <laughs> so we're just going to build up the anticipation a little bit more. The difference between a chutney and a pickle. The pickle contains pieces of vegetables and can be chewed, whereas chutneys are gillies, 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 with a sweet Gilly. and little sour taste and can easily melt in your mouth. Uh, easily melt in your mouth? This doesn't sound like a scientific definition that we found here, but... It's definitely mango chutney from that description. Um, and oh, so mango, actually, mango isn't, even a, isn't even a vegetable, mate. So I've just realised we are bo- we are talking about different things. So I am talking about mango 
pickle, which is not the thing you have with poppadoms, the mango chutney. I'm talking about the, uh, yeah, bit lumps of vegetables with lime and pickle. It's, it's quite sour. You take a bit and it's chewy. You have it with a curry, not the mango chutney you have with poppadoms. I've only now just realised that there are two. There's two things, <laughs> both mango, both with Indian food, like a lime and mango pickle. It's so good. You don't get it at takeaways very often. Mm. I used to get home cooked uh, pickle. It's great. Mm. I don't believe you. Um, let's, <laughs> let's, let's get on with weird anecdotes. So, are you ready for your first story of the week, Buster? I am. So the first story is about, uh, well, I call it the Dreadnought Hoax. Um, the what? It's a story about a... Sorry, sometimes well, with your accent, I don't the, have a clue what you're saying. The that was actually going to be hoax. my immediate follow-up question is, do you know what a Dreadnought is? I don't have a clue what a Dreadnought is. So, uh, a Dreadnought is a type of battleship. Uh, it was made in the early 1900s. And it was basically the template for all. When you think of a battleship now, a big metal boat covered in guns without chimneys uh, and not like an old wooden galleon. So a modern battleship is a dreadnought. Right. And they're all named after the very first one of those, which was called the HMS Dreadnought. And so this story what, what is about... What does HMS stand for? Do you, do you actually, is it Her Majesty's, Her Majesty's Ships? That, yep. That Her Majesty's Ship. Yep. Because okay. uh, she owns a lot of them. Uh, she has to go all and ships. actually all the ships and not the Even boats. Dinghies. No, that's a boat. Right. Difference between a ship and a boat is you can put a boat on a ship, but you can't put a ship on a boat. Unless you crush the boat. <laughs> ah, if you've cubed if you've cubed a ship or you've got ship parts, you could store those on a boat. I'm hoping this is very clear for everyone listening <laughs> now. This everyone's uh, all wised up now on this. But the ship is the is the big one. So this story is about a hoax uh, uh, on a performed by this chap called Horace Devere Cole. Uh, he is as posh as his name sounds. He's a notorious prankster. Uh, went to Trinity College, Cambridge, and became good friends with a lot of influential writers and stuff. That formed this group called the Bloomsbury Group, which is a bunch of like writers from the early 20th century. And while he was at school, he played a lot of pranks. But then straight after finishing university. He then um, played this prank on the Royal Navy because they were kind of pretty big in their boots. They built this HMS Dreadnought, the first Dreadnought, and it was the jewel and the crown of the Royal Navy. Not to be confused with the jewel in the Crown Jewels, which is that huge diamond stolen from India. The HMS Dreadnought was the original Boatly McBoat face. It was a massive deal to right. the Edwardians. Still the so, best, best name ever, and I can't believe they didn't actually call it that, Mr. McBoat. <laughs> very, very disappointing. Very disappointing. So, this 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 prank that Horace Devere Cole uh, decided to play with his uh, with what his a mates. Twat. Just what a twat! <laughs> I know that it's... he ain't come up with the name himself, but fuck me, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Just could call yourself Steve. Do you know what I mean? We could give him a different name through the story if you wanted. No, let's go with Horace. Because <laughs> we, we've, yeah, we could, <laughs> Odin suggests we could call him Buster. <laughs> he actually commits some quite horrible acts. So I don't know if I want my name dragged through the mud with this guy. No, he he sounds like such a twat uh, that Horace will do well because it nearly is the same word as horoscope, and they're twats as well. So we put them all in the same boat. 
of just Three. bullshit wankers. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even mean that one. That was a laugh of someone that didn't mean that pun. <laughs> so, Horace and uh, a couple of his mates, which includes the author Virginia Woolf, so I mentioned before that Bloomsbury group. Virginia right. Woolf was part of this uh, group, although back then she was Stephen. And that's her surname. Before she was married, she wasn't called Stephen Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> this prank, it starts pretty badly. So Horace needed to f- send a fake telegram to the HMS Dreadnought, pretending to be a foreign dignitary. He sent it from a uh, post office run only by women, because in his mind, he'd be less likely to be questioned about this fake telegram, because women wouldn't ask questions. So it's off to a really bad start with a bit of sexism which was very very fashionable back then yeah 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 very 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 it's it's of the time this is 1910 this uh, this is this is the way so what do you reckon he was his plan was he's sent a telegram to uh, hms dreadnought saying some foreign dignitaries are coming who do you think he may have been pretending to be when he turns up was it the um people that owned sealand oh good (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Prince of Sealand. The Prince of Sealand from last. Yeah, you wouldn't recognise him. No. Yeah. Um, the foreign dignitaries, 1910. I don't know who's around in 1910, to be honest. Um, let's go for Einstein. That's the only person I know that was around in 1910. <laughs> of all the people that were alive, I just know that he was alive in 1910. Well, he, he picked somebody. Or Franz that... Ferdinand. Franz Ferdinand. Was he on his That's way? not a bad guess. He picked somebody who was uh, very important but very unrecognisable to the people on the boat. But unfortunately, he decided to pretend to be the Prince of Abyssinia, which is modern-day Ethiopia. Right. And they also spelled Abyssinia wrong in the telegram. Right. It's like one of those scams online, isn't it? When they do it on purpose yes. and they write it wrong so they don't get people that point out spelling mistakes. They get they want to get you, the lowest of the low, the kind of people that can't write. You, you want people with poor attention to detail, for exactly, sure. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, horrible Horace and his posh friends from Trinity College uh, went to a costume designer that they knew in London, supplied them with a rough approximation of what they thought African princes might wear, and put blackface on them and fake beards. They turned up at Weymouth, where the Navy welcomed these fake princes with an honour guard, and the Navy couldn't They've find... They've got away and, with it. They've got away with it so it, far. They've it, actually been accepted. Yeah, they, they were greeted with all, all the fanfare, so the Navy couldn't find an Abyssinian flag, so they used the flag of Zanzibar, which is two nations over, beyond Kenya from from Ethiopia, uh, to uh, to use instead, and played the Zanzibar national anthem as well, figuring it's Africa, it doesn't matter. Right. So they've just they've just done a racism back, trying to counter the original horrific act of turning up. But the thing is, because the these you know jolly chums from Trinity College weren't the princes of Abyssinia, they didn't mention it because they didn't recognise that it wasn't the Abyssinian (laughs) national anthem or flag. So they they turned up, the Navy had just picked a nearby random country and just used their shit. So these fake princes, which by the way, this includes Virginia Woolf, the celebrated author, she is 
blacked up, wearing a fake beard, she, pretending to sorry, be a man. She, she's she among this involved. group. She's involved heavily. She wow. was there. Beard, blackface. That's... Wow, I'm not buying her books. <laughs> she can fuck off. <laughs> so they got shown around the, the boat. They were um, pretending to speak Abyssinian as they went around which included uh, just gibberish words that they were making up, including saying bunga bunga frequently. Uh, yeah, just no to, one just call to them out really, Just to really push the racism card really, really yeah. hard. I mean, they, yeah. they've got away with it to this point. Yeah, they also... Well go all and the thing, the yeah. funny thing is, is like, the weird thing is, is they're double bluffing each other constantly here, but they don't know they're double bluffing each other because neither yeah. one of them have a clue. So... They um, they got away with this, basically. They finished having the fun, messing around on the boat. They had photos taken and left without getting caught. And this is, this is true, but insane. The commander of the ship was actually cousins with two of the people present in blackface, pretending. And they had princes. no clue? Had no clue, didn't recognise them. Jesus. But this is also the commander of the boat who uh, raised up the Zanzibar flag and uh, tooted out the Zanzibar anthem for Abyssinia, so the the bar is pretty low for this guy's <laughs> sort of <laughs> capabilities. Uh, but word eventually got around, not long afterwards, word got around on the room mill, because I'm, I'm sure these guys boasted about it, and the press contacted Horace, he sent them the photo, and it all got put into the papers. Uh, it went down a storm, people thought it was absolutely hilarious, except for the Navy, they were pissed about it. They it decided to have like all, of the, all of the guys rounded up. They first of all wanted them arrested, but it turned out no crime had been committed, so they That's had them all really rounded annoying, up. That's really annoying, isn't it? When, when, when <laughs> yeah. you really want someone arrested and they haven't done anything wrong, <laughs> and you've just accepted it and not looked into it whatsoever, just blindly allowed three yeah. people with a... You just crazy... screamed arrest them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, the last refuge of the uh, of the scoundrel, of course, is is this. They had them rounded up and ritually spanked in public. Oh wow! Were we still doing that in public? Is this is this a thing? When did this stop? The flagellation. It was an official punishment in the navy to be flogged or flagellated like this, and it basically amounted because it was kind of light-hearted because they played a prank and they weren't serving navy members. Uh, Virginia Wolf, however, was spared this, but the the men from the group were all brought to the uh, brought to a navy base or to the dreadnought again and spanked publicly wow so because they used to whip people on boats that was like the one before yeah. they like kind of pushed them overboard and allowed them to kind of swim over the rain overboard so 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 this is this is like the the one down from it they're like you got you got to stop whipping people this is so wrong and instead they yeah. got like a spanking device and started spanking people in the yeah. navy like yeah. I'll be doing things wrong all the time if I was in the Navy. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's somewhere between the corporal punishment and the sex scene. And enjoyment. It's the dial yeah, exactly. between that, yeah. The people that are into S&M were definitely like, ooh, drop my clangers again, let's get going. Oh, 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 I pushed the captain's hat off. Take me to the brig, take me to the brig. <laughs> <laughs> so Odin is... Uh, is written here that this uh, this power to uh, flog people or spank them to, to, you know sort of sexually was uh, removed in 1948 by the criminal justice act however there was uh, still the power to do it for mutiny and gross personal violence to an officer um, until 1967 so that was the yeah. latest time that it's possible to do it 
Yeah, I remember that the, the last guy uh, was in 1967. They got killed. Um, well, this is just for this is for. Um, whoosh, no, nineteen seven was the last time that we had the death penalty. Yeah, I think that probably, I guess, was brought um, brought in under the same uh, yeah, I think corporal and capital punishment. Probably, probably the same thing. Yeah, exactly. They weren't like uh, we're just going to get rid of this one horrible thing and then just dial it down and and see how much we can get away with. They probably were like the whole thing, you know. So you know when they were like stop spanking children or stop hitting children they weren't like stop hitting them in the face but the legs are all right do you know what i mean they were like just fully <laughs> stop just whacking children yeah and there's there's an interesting kind of background to this this guy horace this isn't actually this this prank was kind of his uh, magnum opus of inappropriate activities but he had a track record for this he actually when he was at university at trinity college him and some of his other friends impersonated a sultan in blackface and got a private tour of the college in town from the mayor and a similar thing they were furious wanted him imprisoned but people thought it was funny so nothing happened did, did they um, let this out afterwards did they tell everyone about yeah. it because normally right now it would be like you know a camera would be involved and they would be how how were they documenting it in any way or were they there's photographs of, of both incidents oh, photographs oh yeah. wow okay. and actually you can look that up you can google uh the the dreadnought hoax and you'll see a photograph of a naval officer standing with some people who are very very clearly caucasians with blackface and pubic hair stuck to their chins and uh, one of them in the photograph is virginia wolf wow incredibly and there's a statue of her in tavistock square which is made of bronze which as it sort of oxidizes and, and ages becomes black so Ironically, she's immortalised for her blackface, while she's also been celebrated for her writing. Well, Virginia Woolf is someone yeah. I'll never buy a book off. Uh, but to be honest, I, th I think her <laughs> her writing's probably a bit above my level. Um, I just started reading a book about football tactics, and I'm about five pages in, and already he's using big words like football and tactics, and I'm not too sure exactly <laughs> what he means by that. Let's go on with some good news. Lovely. There's been a, a baby boom in Kenya of green turtles. And yeah, it's great because everyone loves turtles. A, they're super cute. And they're also a keystone species in a lot of ecosystems. The reason for this massive uh, boom is because there's been some monitoring and conservation work going mm. on in Kenya on these uh, the nesting sites of turtles. You probably know they like climb up the beach lay yeah. eggs return to the sea and then the eggs when they hatch they have to make a break for it down the beach so having volunteers monitoring and also just protecting them as they make that run to the sea mm. uh, really helps and because of covid there's been a lot more volunteers because people are out of work and wanting something meaningful to do with their spare time this uh, extra volunteering are they batting away humans or are they batting away like birds and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, the humans, like, people people turning up with little bibs on saying, I heart yeah. turtle. Because actually, apparently, turtle is delicious. Yeah, I have heard this. Yeah. I have heard this. And it's kind of Annoying. one of those things, it's like, if we look after them now, then maybe in about 15 years' time, it's going to be so bad <laughs> that we can eat them. That's, that's not the good news angle I was going for, but I suppose <laughs> it's, it, the turtle conservation thing is look forward to trying turtle soup for the first time in the next 10 years. <laughs> and feel okay about it. I think that's, yeah. the, that's, the, that's the main bit. Guilt-free turtle soup, that's my company. 
Next bit of good news is the Yorkshire Dales are looking to dramatically change uh, their climate by planting over a million trees in the Yorkshire Dales. Um, wow. Yeah, so they've planted loads of trees in surrounding areas, kind of Newton Lee Willows and Lower Wensleydale. Uh, is that where they make the cheese? Um, in an effort yeah. to tackle the climate. According to scientists, planting a billion oak trees across the world is one of the biggest and cheapest ways to kind of taking CO2 out of the atmosphere. I know that Elon Musk recently has said that he'll give $10 million or something to the person that will come up with the best CO2 capture. I think it's like a bit, a bit arrogant to assume that humans could come up with a technological solution to carbon sequestering, as they call it, when there's been billions of years of evolution that's kind of perfected the tree. It's it's a machine that turns light into energy and you know sucks harmful gases out of the air. It's you know yeah. if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly, but we've broken it, so we do. Yeah, need to fix <laughs> really <it>. bad. <laughs> um, the group uh, actually themselves are asking two pounds to cover the cost of a tree, a cane, and a spiral to protect it from rabbits. So. Uh, what we're going to be doing is we are on the behalf of that's news to me going to be donating six pounds uh between the three of us and uh we are also going to be putting this onto our social channels so you guys can also donate yourselves if everybody listening just gave two pounds they'd have two pounds six pounds (laughs) (laughs) i was going for i was going for all i was carrying us three in there (laughs) oh right okay (laughs) So we'd have £8, including us. Thank you, Buster's mum, for listening. <laughs> so the next bit of good news is about uh, is about the green sector, the environmental sector, being too white. So like with a, with a lot of uh, progress in the world, there's often a problem with racial justice uh, coupled with environmental justice. So there's been a move by a couple of really big organisations in the environmental sort of sector, Friends of the Earth, Client Earth and the RSPB and a few other smaller ones are taking part in a programme that's aimed to open up the environment sector to young people from ethnic minority backgrounds. Um, it's, it's only 3.5% of those working in the environment sector identify as being from an ethnic minority, way, way less than the general population. So this uh, pl- employment programme is going to offer some employment to 16 and 24 year olds from predominantly ethnic minority backgrounds to redress this balance, but also giving opportunities to young people to work in a sector which is sort of very likely to be expanding in the future. So it's it's a great way of addressing both climate and racial justice. A great step. Brilliant. Brilliant. This is great. Do we have anything else to say about that? Apart yeah, from that's great. It's one of those clear cut ones. It's just one of those nice work, ones. friends of the earth. Turns well out done. you are friends of the earth. Of all the things on the earth, including people. Uh, so, the next one I want to talk about today is uh, that African women have embraced contraceptives as population grows. That is the headline. Uh, some of the statistics are showing that the number of people that are using contraception since 2012 has gone from 40 million to more than 66 million. They want to raise this to over 120 million uh, over the next few years. Why this is such a uh, big thing is because inside of Africa, contraception has been constantly either too expensive 
or it has been uh, put down by certain leaders and said that it is not good to use contraceptions because of you know, certain reasons and don't really want to go into too much of the religious angle but fucking stop it um and that has led to you know multiple different things like the aids epidemic people having kids very very young people having too many kids therefore putting a strain on resources where there are limited amount of resources in the current area loads of different things etc 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 and so all i can say is is condoms do work and that is the, 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 the crux of it. And to just say that you either have a baby or you're abs- or just abstain from sex is just not for me the best way to, to live your life and um, you know to be able to hmm. uh, li- live the best life that you can. So more people are adopting condoms and other contraceptions and being able to actually reduce their population size, create sustainable growth, and also to stop AIDS from being so easily passed around and other sexual diseases um, is just only going to be a great thing for women, health, and also on top of that, just just their empowerment, really, um, to mm. have that empowerment to say no and to say that they're not going to get pregnant at a, at a young age and you know, not have that kind of burden until someone of much older is just a, a great thing. So... Hopefully that continues to grow. Hopefully that exponentially continues to grow even more. And I hope, again, I have not mansplained uh, too much in, in that situation uh, because I, I, I've always, I'm always very, very conscious of that and, and I hope I haven't rustled any feathers. If you had brought a, a banana and a condom to demonstrate, that might have been a bit too much. He says, taking the putting the banana away. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> Put that back <laughs> in my pocket. Or what I call my other pocket. Yes. <laughs> my so, personal pocket. He's my talking on, about on, his anus, I think. My, it's just, my... just get it out there. <laughs> just, just drop the euphemisms. Um, so, uh, interesting bit of good news here. This is kind of a, a, a conceptual thing, but... According to the ICUN, at least 8 million tonnes of plastic waste end up in the sea every year. Uh, a majority of this ends up back in the food chain and in our own bodies. Uh, also in marine animals, causing a lot of suffering, death and, and health problems for wild animals as well. And so a uh, architect, Lenka Petrakova, has just won a prestigious Grand Prix award for architecture and innovation of the sea by designing something that's called the Eighth Continent, a huge floating structure that is self-sustaining and floats around on the oceans, cleaning and recycling plastic on the way. It's not been built yet and there's at the moment no plans to build it, but the design is done and I think with the renewed interest in, in ocean health and plastic waste, there's a possibility that this will be pursued and it certainly got the attention of the world now from winning this Grand Prix award. So it's a watch this space good news story. Mm. And the design's worth looking up this, the eighth continent look up to just to see the photograph of it. It is beautiful, it's breathtaking. It looks like something from a sci-fi film. It's, it's quite special. Australian state just passed a world leading and I didn't know this I did not know that this pretty much has never been done before. It's just passed the bill to ban LGBTQ plus conversion therapy. Um, used to be called 
gay conversion therapy, and then it used to be called lesbian and gay conversion therapy. It went on and on and on. I love um, how even the bigots are changing with the times <laughs> and starting to recognise more letters of the of the rainbow flag. Gonna even be... the fucking bigots are on board now. Going to be politically correct whilst we change something that this person was born being. You know. Are they going to convert bisexual people though? Are they going to just consider that a job half done? Oh no, that's just half, that's just a part-time course, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's an <laughs> open university <laughs> correspondence course. It's not a full-time course, that. It's all right. <laughs> I honestly, no, I've, I've never got this gay conversion stuff, man. It's fucking no, crazy. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah. The, the bill uh, basically, uh, as of now, outlaws any therapy that attempts to change or suppress a person's sexual orientation or gender identity and empowers the Victorian equal opportunity and Aussie human rights to investigate reports of conversion practices. So this is going to be looked after, there's going to be fines sapped on people of $10,000 or more and also criminal sanctions can be go from there. It's a brilliant piece of legislation. Um, I'm sure that it will go across the whole of Australia not too long. I don't really hear stories about gay conversion stuff going on in this country. I don't know whether that's cultural attitudes rather than the law. I'm, I'm sure there is a gay conversion therapy going on somewhere. Either, you know, it's still legal as far as I know. Mm. Uh, um, so I'm sure it will be going on at some point. But it's, it's amazing how... Because, like, you know... Us having mentally abusive relationships, you can now be put into jail for it. You can be sanctioned. And this is mentally abusive. Completely mentally abusive. I think if I rule the world, my take on this would be that if someone is doing gay conversion therapy, the punishment for that would be actual gay conversion therapy where you have to go through an education. You have to be made gay. Well, at least just brought up to speed and like understand it, what it is, how it works. Like, yeah, just part, be brought into the gay community and like made to understand it, like just diffuse the ignorance there. I think that's what should go on. Like it would, yeah, Odin suggests forcing them to watch every season of RuPaul's, exactly, you know? Just, yeah bring them into the fold you know yeah i really don't get why people care about who they have sex with but i really don't get who why other people who they don't know get annoyed at other people that they don't know that's very nosy having sex with and the, the new bigotry is really like going oh they can do whatever they want behind closed doors but i don't want to see it why not you see a lot worse <laughs> open your doors people <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> basically, I want to have a constant peep show when I'm walking down the road. Yeah. Just, I have every room, every house is a peep show. Next bit of good news is about uh, London's new diversity commission. So there was a commission set up, set up in by the wake Sadiq of... Khan. That's right. Yes, London's Mayor Sadiq Khan. And it was in the wake of the Black Lives Matter protests that uh, internationally in the summer of last year. And... There was a, there's been some criticisms levelled at it about it's going to remove statues and then there's a conflation of statues with history, which is a irritating sort of uh, complaint against uh, about these sort of things. But there's uh, indications that this panel straw is actually man, not exactly as a straw man. Yeah, it's so the, the the indication though that this panel has no intention at all of removing statues, which is good because it will please. There's a sort of vocal minority on the right. It still won't. But it what still won't. It will, 
No, probably not. But what they will try and do is to redress the balance of the dearth of um, uh, statues in the capital representing the capital's diverse population, especially in including the African community or African immigrants into London and the UK. So it's a really great idea because there are so many, um, you know, amazing stories and fantastically inspirational mm-hmm. people who have been ignored previously by, you know, in, in statues around the capital. And Indeed. that's going to be the purpose of this commission, which is, a, I think, a great win-win. It, mm-hmm. it sort of addresses the situation. Um, it's you know, piggybacking on the cultural movement that is happening at the moment. Yeah. And also the whole thing about statues being history is that that's a, that's a constantly changing fluid situation and the way yes. we interpret our history and celebrate our mm-hmm. heroes is actually what statues are for. Mm-hmm. So having more black faces and not in the Virginia Woolf kind around uh, London is, is a great thing. Yeah, uh, 100%. And uh, what happened to referendums? Do you know what I mean? It's just stopped a few years ago. Can we not have a referendum on our statues? Well, they, they tried doing Just that with the famous one that was pulled down in Bristol. There was quite a few uh, meetings and committees about it, and nothing ever really happened. So I think I just, I pulling just down understand. statues is such a controversial and difficult thing. It kind of needs to happen yeah. in a revolutionary way, or we, you know, we just actually add more pleasant statues representing yeah, I, and celebrating more diverse group of people. My point of or about statues is. Um, I've just seen Odin's comment. Careful, you'll just end up with a London covered in swastikas. <laughs> a, a fear I, I share. <laughs> I think what, what my, my main thing, especially around, do you remember when um, that that kind of white is right group, racist group came down to protect the statues when, and no oh, one yeah. was going near the statues and then they just ended up... The George Elliott statue, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you had to travel oh, yeah. in. Like you the flag shaggers from all over the place. You yeah, yeah. fucking know about the statue. You've never been to the statue. What do you care about the statue? And guess what? It's a statue. It's just a piece of brass made yeah. in a certain shape. I mean, my absolute favourite was was George Eliot's statue in Nuneaton. The, the yeah. celebrated poet, her statue sitting there. You know, no one came near she it. was actually an abolitionist as well. So yeah. They were there going, we just don't want them to remove our history. The most yeah. ironic counter-protest in history. But um, what I but I, I think that you know it is a symbol, isn't it? It's a, it's a symbol of celebration and it's part of our uh, our, our supposed culture. But the po- the point of culture is it's supposed to be fluid, as you said. It's supposed to move with the times. You know, culture and tradi- tradition. Okay, it was tradition to have slavery. Most people now, and I'm, I say most people, I'm not going to say all people, but most people in the UK would now say it was a bad thing. We used to have women not being able to have a vote. Most people, again, would say that was a bad thing. But at the time, it was completely fine and it was the standard. So having things as the standard where they used to be, um, you know, slave owners or that kind of stuff was celebrated then, that's fine. And we can keep it. Let's put it into museums and learn from the history and understand and move forward with our lives and not continue to celebrate people who are quite quite truly abhorrent. Um, and like, people like Rudyard Kipling, you can appreciate his works without liking the person. You know, he was a brilliant, brilliant writer, but he also wrote a poem about how it was a white man's burden to go around and make people these uncivilized black folk uh, and teach them how to live their lives better and be more civilized. And you can yeah, understand it's, and sit there and go, it's possible to have these different uh, 
yeah, yeah. there's different attitudes to a person and I don't I mean, personally listen to Michael Jackson's music but if you want to go listen to Michael Jackson's music that's your prerogative yeah, you example, can't sit yeah. there that Michael Jackson is a really nice person and he wasn't a paedophile because he was I think you can still like the song him. Beat It without thinking about him, him being beat it. kids <laughs> for example and actually what my my personal go-to on this is that I love Beck I, th- I love the music of Beck I think he's a wonderful artist but for a period of time not anymore but for quite a long period of time he was a Scientologist and it was always in the back of my mind when I was listening to his music um, yeah, but I had to separate them out because his music is great he's a Scientologist oh shit but I'm, I'm, I'm sure that at one point in time in 34 years time 50 years time we're going to look back at artists and people that we thought were great now we're actually not great people because that's all the way the times move along you know just and that's how it is people like you know the artist buster gonna suddenly realize that actually him going around and just beating up random women is just not a nice thing but that is something for future generations to decide on right now it's a perfectly fine thing for us to be getting on with and living our lives all good and talking about women (laughs) (laughs) the beavers are back (laughs) oh god (laughs) um we have spoke uh, a million of odd sides. Buster, what would you say our, fa- say our favourite subjects were? I think Jacinda Arden, definitely number one. Yeah. Um, environmental news, and then just beavers. Which is a strange yeah. three things to constantly bring up. But beavers are really, really, really good for the environment. I know they can be very, very annoying for some farmers or people that utilise the streams, like downstream, but actually they're amazing, amazing for the environment and it's been proved basically from some people bringing back beavers last year and we broke the story, I say broke the story, we've read an article about it, (laughs) Um, about us bringing back beavers for the first time and now a record number of beavers are going to be released into Britain this year. So they're going to be coming back in uh, five counties where they've been extinct for centuries. Uh, and because of the increase in beavers, there'll be hundreds of species like insects, amphibians, birds, fish, plants, etc. All be coming back to live inside the UK. And, and we can go see these things all because of Wonderful. beavers. I um, can see the headline now already. Damn it! The beavers are back. <laughs> I love beavers and they're amazing. And how they work together is great. And it just, I think, gives a bit more context to the vagina. <laughs> we are so close to getting through that story of beavers without any really gratuitous or graphic references to female sex organs. Staying in. <laughs> I do the editing on this podcast. It's staying in. <laughs> what a fantastic bit of news that is! What a it's great news to me. Great, that's news to me. And if you guys would like to hear a little bit more uh, about that, or even other great news stories on a daily basis, then please go to our Instagram page at, at that's news to me pod. And Odin are. Um, bitch boy will be posting there every single day some good news for you guys to do, uh, dip your toes into. I feel into. like you've just now secured us never posting anything again with that comment. Oh no, a hundred percent. Like you know, even when we go back to the scene again, <laughs> I don't think Odin's ever going to be my friend. Let's go with your last story of the day. So, the 
final story for this week is a sort of murder mystery, bit of a spooky story. Maybe we can put some sort of eerie music in the background for this one. Uh, maybe if you're good boy. See how it sounds. Although I have a feeling we're probably going to find it. We're probably going to find that we make too light of this this murder mystery. But okay, this is about Edgar Allan Poe, the famous poet. Right. So he um, was very famous for this uh, poem, The Raven. It was a internationally famous, made him very, very well known all around the world. And The Simpsons did a parody of it, which is a sort of a measure of how famous you are if The Simpsons have referenced you. But apparently he only earned $15 for this poem that kind of made his name. But he was, a, in his lifetime, pretty celebrated, quite popular poet and author. He wrote these books called Penny Dreadfuls, all these poems called Penny Dreadfuls, which were so-called because they were very expensive and brilliant. Right, a bit bit of a side story. Um, Mm -hmm. How many um, paintings did Van Gogh sell in his lifetime? Every single one of them, he was a roaring success. No, go on, have a real guess. It's a a zero, did he sell a single one? Well, the story is he never sold a single one of his own paintings. But I asked you how many paintings he did sell. He actually came uh, out to London other for a few years, paintings. and he was worked in an art gallery. He used to sell paintings for a living. Yeah, that's right. Uh, just never earned any money from his own paintings, and then obviously went crazy and dropped off his ear. But um, oh, we got a correction from producer corner. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> Smackdown. He sold he one did. painting while he was alive: the Red Vineyard, there which we went four hundred francs. I did know what. I. I fucking knew that as well. I knew that. <laughs> as soon as I started reading that, I was like, shit. And like halfway through, I was thinking, he actually sold one, didn't he? But I'll just, I'll just, I'll just live and die on this. Um, you have to get up pretty early in the morning to get some bullshit past producer corner. That's. <laughs> I just don't understand. Like his his keyboard must be on fire. He's like, really it's quick. Just so quick. That's really bad. Jesus yeah, been on, he's actually been on fire in particular this evening. Yeah. Exactly. So um, it's it's a, sh- so, it's a it's it's a shame that none of his parts are going to be edited into the podcast, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I like the oh. corrections. I don't want us to get away with talking shit. Yeah, yeah. Although no, that is a big part of the podcast, it should be accurate. <laughs> so returning to uh, old Eddie Poe. Uh, Interesting fact about him, he also coined a word, like all good authors, you've got to create new words and add to the language. Yeah. He created a word, tintinabulation, to describe the sound it. made by the ringing of bells, because apparently the word bong wasn't good enough for him. <laughs> I like tintinabulation. Yeah, he took a look at bong, he was like, oh, oh, too onomatopoeic, I would like something obscure that sounds like it's about a Belgian, <laughs> Belgian lad with a dog. Or... Oh, oh, that that was Tintin. I was just about to reference Tintin. Yeah, yeah. I was literally just about to reference Tintin. Bleak, wasn't I? So, you, did, uh, you, did, another... you did a better job of it than me. <laughs> so I was just about to also... say, is, or is that just not when Tintin's shouting? That's all I was going to say. But uh, we'll move on. <laughs> so uh, I've got some other good poor facts for you before we delve into the mystery surrounding his death because it is a bit of a weird mystery but uh, there's actually a American football team the Baltimore Ravens I mentioned before his famous poem The Raven uh, he uh, they, their team the Baltimore Ravens named in honour of that Edgar Allan Poe classic and it's, it's apparently the only example of a big sports team being named after a work of literature 
it's actually that the name uh, Baltimore Ravens come from the fact they wanted to put more birds in curries. Come to the Baltimore Ravens. Oh, that's pretty good. I was thinking more like Baltimore raving, like as in glow sticks and. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I, I I thought this was quite shocking actually that there's only one football team that had a literary sort of uh, reference. So I came up with some examples for you because you're a big sports guy of some new. I put a bit of weight recently. Teams. I want to say I'm a big sports <laughs> guy. Was, uh, a sports behemoth. Tall stuff. <laughs> Uh, so what do you think about this, sir? What about this one? First of all, the importance of being Arsenal. Ah, okay. Quite nice. Yeah. Uh, the New England paperbacks. Nice. <laughs> A one for you, Brighton Revisited. Nice. Like that. The Lion, the Witch and the Watford. <laughs> That's my favourite one. I actually also, one. I also played Mr Beaver in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe at a school play. And uh, they got a, a video of me where I'm not paying attention and everyone's walked off the stage and I'm just standing there with a tray. <laughs> this could be right. like your, your preoccupation with beavers started then. Yeah, maybe. Yes, yes, yes. That's exactly where it came from. No. This, this, this one's quite good, although it's maybe not very obvious. There is actually already one. Reading, if you pronounce it reading. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's quite a good one. Uh, the Count of Man United. Ah, nice. And the last one, this is just for you. Uh, Brighton and Hove Albion could also be changed to A Tale of Two Cities. Ah, nice. I like that. So maybe that's going to be just... I'll send those to the Premier League, see what they can do with them. <laughs> it wasn't two cities. It's actually we needed Hove to become a city. No, it's so... kind of like a city been absorbed by Brighton, isn't it? I actually Googled that because I was like, is Hove a city? <laughs> Yeah, so we had to take in Hove. We didn't have a big enough population density. So like... you sort of pulled it in. Is that yeah. where the saying Heave Hove comes from? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So bringing us back from that seg is the um, the death of Edgar Allan Poe. So I'll give you a bit of background. And it's worth pointing out at the very beginning, actually, that this is an unsolved mystery. So we're talking about some theories but we actually will never get to the bottom of this today. So, October 1849, a dishevelled looking man looking very worse for wear and delirious outside a polling station in Baltimore. The man who discovered him recognised him as the famous Edgar Allan Poe. Now, this is where it starts to get weird. I mean, it's already pretty weird, but Poe wasn't actually from Baltimore and he hadn't been seen for an entire week. Last time he was seen by anybody other than this guy who found him, as far as we know, was a week previously when he left Richmond, Virginia, heading to Philadelphia. He was supposed to be making a work trip to Philadelphia, then heading back east to New York, picking up his auntie, taking her to Richmond, Virginia, where he was due to be married. So he was right right before he was due to be married. But he never made it to Philadelphia. He had been missing though for this for this long period of time. Turns up in Baltimore instead of making it to Philadelphia. And he was completely delirious, having hallucinations, unable to communicate what was really going on and what was happening to him. The man who found him managed to extract from him, Did do you know anyone in, in Baltimore? Can you know can we help you get you anywhere? And Edgar was able to communicate the name of a doctor called Snodgrass, which is a brilliant, very Dickensian name. And also the so, left winger for West Brom, the Chalbion. Ah, I knew I'd heard that 
name recently. Yes, Robert Snodgrass is a great, great name. Great I think he's a character in the well. quick papers. Yeah, he's a great footballer. We have such great, great different references to why we love Snodgrass. It's brilliant. We're still talking about football, are we? <laughs> yeah. So this guy finds Edgar Allan Poe in a complete state of disarray and he writes to this doctor, Dear sir, there is a gentleman rather the worse for wear at Ryan's fourth ward poles who goes under the cognomen of Edgar A. Poe. Beautiful word, cognomen. Basically. <laughs> I just stopped. He's called Edgar. You could have just said he's called Edgar. But he goes under the cognomen of Edgar Allan Poe and he appears in great distress and he says he is acquainted with you and I assure you, He's in need of immediate assistance. He says that, however, he did write that in a letter, so obviously not that immediate. Oh yeah, that's going to take <laughs> some time to get in there. So yeah, I need immediate Sitting assistance. By carrier pigeon. Yeah. To be fair, they didn't have the ability to text back then. It was kind of the. I assume this letter was run over to the house by someone, and it's kind of in lieu of giving a verbal message. I guess it's it's a pretty much as close as you can get to. Yeah. Uh, a text. This is where it gets weird, right? So he, he, he gets taken to this mate's house as a doctor, but four days after that, he's dead. And in the last four days of his life, he's unable to tell anybody about what's happened to him, why he's been missing for a week, why he was so shit-faced, why he was like having these hallucinations. He kept repeatedly calling out the name Reynolds during the night, and no one's been able to really identify who he could have possibly been talking about. Um, and it's a mystery. No one knows what's happened here. There are, however, a couple of good theories I thought we could talk about. You got anything off the bat that you might think might have happened to him? Turns up a week later after going missing. Apparently drunk, delirious, shouting Reynolds. Writer's block. Ooh. It's a very serious version of writer's block. Oh, it's pretty good, actually. His brain started just blocking everything. It's all backed up like people who get like a digestive tract blockage and they blow up full of shit. Yeah. It's, He's got it's, too many ideas in his head. Can't get them out. Yeah, just his brain just went. That is, a, that is a great theory. Right. Theory number one. I quite like this one. Rabies. Right. So physician uh, in the sort of modern time within the last couple of decades looked at the pathology report that accompanied his, uh, his death without realising that it was Edgar Allan Poe. So without sort of being prejudiced of the details of the story, just looked at some of the um, symptoms that he suffered before he died, this sort of uh, lethargy and the hallucinations and, and then death four days after sort of being found, uh, thought might be rabies. This sort of fits, but there's a couple of crucial things missing. One of the very common side effects of rabies is hydrophobia, and there are some trustworthy contemporary reports of him having a drink of water in the hospital. Right. And no mention of an animal bite, but he was off his tits, so couldn't really. Never heard of hydrophobia. It's it's a um, an aversion to water, as you might yeah. guess from the I name. Guess from and the name, it's, yeah. It, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's a thing when you're uh, suffering from rabies. Yeah, people don't like the the taste or feel of water. It's very difficult to get to drink. Could he have had like some kind of like stomach or brain cancer or tumor that was like late on and yes, that is have... an excellent shout. And that's one of the other leading theories is a brain tumor. So um, or meninges, which is like a an encephalitis, like a swelling of the brain caused by an infection. So. They think that's a possibility because that would explain all of the strange side effects of his behaviour, the hallucinations, things like that, and the ultimately his death could be explained by a brain tumour and 
there is one particularly gross detail. I think if you're of a um, sensitive disposition, maybe skip ahead 30 seconds now. When he was buried, he was subsequently, 26 odd years later, exhumed. And at that point, his body was quite decomposed. The coffin, including, broke apart and exposed and broke apart part of his body. And one of the workers who was digging up his body said that there was something, a mass, something solid rolling around in his skull. And the theory is that 26 years is enough time for the brain to have completely decomposed, but a calcified tumour, which is often yeah. made of a different material to brain tissue, could have survived and that was what was rolling around in his head. Well, cancer can survive for a very long time. The first person to have their cancer cells taken out of them, her cancer cells are still all around the world. They're still growing to this day. Yes. And they are being Real used. Yeah. yeah, and they're used everywhere. Cancer is like pretty much the only thing that's self-sustaining and just lives can just carry on living so that wouldn't be a surprise that it could just carry on especially with a whole body to eat and loads of other kind of bits yeah and even if it wasn't technically living even if it was a dead bit of cancer they also calcify slightly so harden so wouldn't decompose at the same rate we've solved it then that's it well there are some other theories i think this is really interesting this is a really weird one it's a practice called cooping so back at the time there was a type of this was a type of electoral fraud whereby someone was kidnapped pulled into a voting booth forced to vote for a candidate often many times repeatedly with disguises on so like bring them back in with a fake mustache bring them in as the prince of abyssinia (laughs) and again and again and this was often accompanied by getting beaten up or forced to be drink forced to drink alcohol to get you into a stupor so you're more pliant but also possibly, the, this explains perhaps why he was drunk, but the or appeared drunk. You actually used to get given a drink of alcohol after you voted, because this is before prohibition. So after you voted, you were often they given should, like a shot, like democracy. I think they should give the shot now beforehand, just to just to switch things up a little bit, or like yeah, ten that, shots each, and then you have to go I and vote. I think that's a recipe for the Conservatives being re-elected if people go drunk into a polling booth. So that's that's an interesting theory. And that would explain, there's a little element, I don't know if you remember at the beginning, when I told the story, is that he was outside a polling station when he was fine. Yeah, but surely after four or five days, he would have been fine. He wouldn't have died with that amount of alcohol, right? Well, How much alcohol was he consuming? Well, he wasn't this... drinking moonshine, was he? No, and, and the theory about the cooping is kind of partly that he might have been beaten up and that perhaps caused uh, swelling on the brain that then subsequently killed him. But the alcohol and how much there's another interesting detail. That's why the story's so weird. There's so many little bits to it. Poe apparently had a congenital, very, very low tolerance for alcohol. So it was remarked upon during his life that he would be staggering drunk, shit-faced from a single glass of wine. Wow. It was a problem all of his cheap life. And actually, months out. before he died. Yeah, oh, real cheap I was in Coalition, down in Brighton. Oh, I wish I only had one shot and I'd be off my rocker all night. Thank you very much. One other interesting detail before I give you my own theory as to what happened to him. Right. This one is not really accounted. This this uh, particular feature of his mysterious death was never really accounted for in any of the theories. When he was found, he was wearing someone else's clothes. Uh, nobody That's knows weird. whose clothes they were or why. Another um, secret gate? 
he was, yeah, it could have been, yeah, his sort of first foray into drag. Um, he could have met a drag mother. Osborne thinking that he got drunk with a guy, had sex with them, was so drunk the next morning, just put on the wrong clothes and walked out. <laughs> we have, I, I, I've got to uh, credit to Odin for some, by the way, amazing suggestions for a drag name for Edgar Allan Poe. The delightful Edgar Allan Ho, I think, is the <laughs> obvious winner for me. Uh, Edge Me Allen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Raven Nevermore. Oh, wonderful. I, and I, I can I've imagine the gothic makeup that comes with that as well. <laughs> I've got one. Rupo. Rupo. Lovely. Okay. So, yeah, that's a whole a whole thing that, that's not really picked up by any of these stories, whether it's rabies or a brain tumour or his um, susceptibility to alcohol or whether he's beaten up or forced to vote. I think I think the brain tumour one probably is should be the leading candidate, right? Um all the evidence but possibly but here's how yours? I think it all fits together go on because there's like, a lot of pieces like, like the lovely amazing poet you are lyrically tell me how it all pieces together and what your conclusion is if you could do it via an ability to only use metaphors and similes that would really <laughs> kick this up a notch so I, I can't promise that but <laughs> <laughs> so Right, he goes to Philadelphia, he gets on the train, but he goes into his first class carriage to find that a dog, claiming to be a man called Mr. Reynolds, is sitting in his seat. The dog is wearing a suit, it's like pretending to be a person. So Edgar gets in an argument with Mr. Reynolds, who is a dog, and they, this, this disagreement ultimately leads to him being bitten on the backside, tearing his trousers. Classic he was barking mad, wasn't he? Parking mad. Oh no. This triggered a rabies reaction in Edgar Allan Poe, potentially. He then gets off the train early in Baltimore to repair or replace his damaged trousers. So he goes to a tailor's, gets an entire new outfit because the suit and pants came as a set. Right. Then he realises he's got this Did he? bite. Exactly, he doesn't want to look weird. He's Edgar Allan Poe, he's a pretty big deal. So he then goes to a pharmacy to get some rubbing alcohol to uh, solve his injured buttocks. Unfortunately, the rubbing alcohol seeps into the wound in his backside. But also conceals it. Concealing the bite mark. Well, we don't know whether he did or he didn't, and we can assume no one checked his arsehole. But we don't know that for sure. And Edgar Allan Poe, as we've already discussed, loves getting his arsehole bit eaten out. That's just... (laughs) just... (laughs) He loves someone tossing his salad. It's his favourite pastime. <laughs> so, he's got some rubbing alcohol that's now become part of his bloodstream. It's sucked in through the dog bite. He's now shit-faced. He had previously become uh, a teetotaler for the last few months and had joined the temperance movement, but had forgotten all of this and he's sort of like... Yeah, he's, he's raging now. He's on a sesh. So he goes to a bar in his new suit buys one glass of creme de menthe which for him is a lethal amount of alcohol he then while sitting in this bar drinking this that sends him right over to the to the edge of being completely insensible is then picked up by a cooping gang those electoral frauders, fraudsters they then beat him up force him to vote for the democrats stop the steal 
and then <laughs> left him for dead in the alleyway behind the polling station. Boom. Edgar Allan Poe. And that is how we will leave it. <laughs> Very interesting theory, and uh, I don't think there's any evidence to disagree with you. It's so, watertight. It's watertight. It's hydrophobic, that story. It is. It's, it's alcohol uh, covering up a bike tight. That's how tight it is. Now, um, if you think that that was like verging on sort of defamation, then it's worth noting that Poe's obituary, written after he died... He's been dead for 160 years. I don't think that <laughs> he's going to be coming about. after you for libel, mate. Don't so, worry. But right after he died, his obituary was written by a professional and personal rival with the wonderful name of Rufus Wilmot Griswold. Classic. He, he wrote a, quite a lengthy obituary for Poe that was so horrible that he signed it with a pseudonym. So even his worst enemy wouldn't put his name to this obituary and in it it claimed that he was a mad drunken womanising opium addict so me saying that he's just a, a guy who was bitten by a dog called Mr Reynolds and enjoyed a glass of creme de menthe really pales in comparison to the way he was shit on immediately after he died mm. and only seven people went to his funeral as well and he, and he was he was shot on regularly after his massive male gangbangs that is <laughs> what happened and you know, and me calling him gay throughout this whole process is probably defamatory as well. But um, I quite like yeah. to imagine him as Rupo. Though I quite like that. Yeah, Rupo. Um, but I, it's, it's, it, that's one of those names, like Alan Poe, that I, I've heard about. I kind of knew what he did. He was in the uh, kind of arts, kind of you know, classics kind of. You know, if you went to study classics, you'd know where the Alan Poe is. And uh, I didn't know though that he had such a strange ending. Which is so interesting. I, I actually recently learnt about Mansa Musa a lot more. I, I knew a little bit about him, but I, I learnt kind of his whole life story. And um, he he just disappeared off the face of the earth as well. There's no thing really written about him. Um, it was a lot more earlier history than, than this. But it's so strange where someone's life is so documented and then suddenly it just ends Vanish. for some weird yeah. reason. And, and, they, and they just go and... As um, Ricky Gervais says, you know, everything goes back into the pot at the end of the day. So, uh, you know, once people's life ends, so be nice, be kind. You never know when you're going to be taken by coupon gangs and beaten up uh, to vote for <laughs> Kanye West. So watch out <laughs> for those people. Um, brilliant. Well, thanks, Pastor. And uh, let's finish off the show. <laughs> So, thank you very much for listening to this week's That's News to Me uh, with myself and my good friend Buster. If you give this a good like and subscribe, also follow us on all the channels, uh, probably Instagram actually. Sack off the rest. Uh, Facebook's alright, but Instagram's where it's really hipping and happening at the moment. I'm getting notifications all the time and there's some really, really good discussions going on there. But before we finish for the day, Buster. What have we learned about today? Well, crucially, we've learned the difference between a ship and a boat. I think that's quite important. Yeah. Uh, we've also learned that uh, what passed for a practical joke led to celebrated author Virginia Woolf donning a beard and blackface. And Take the statue down. Take the statue mocking, down. <laughs> yes, mocking the nation of Abyssinia, but uh, warmly received by 
the Royal Navy until it wasn't and they were spanked. And we also learned about the mysterious death of Edgar Allan Poe. A bit of a literary theme running through this week's podcast. Well, we didn't learn. Uh, it's weird. We it? actually we, we learned how really he learn. did die. We didn't learn really anything. We never learn anything. <laughs> <laughs> this whole bit at the end where I tell you what we've learned is such a farce. <laughs> yeah, I've learned something. You haven't, because you write it. I don't have a clue what you're talking about. So uh, I, I learned. <laughs> no one ever does, new. man. <laughs> I learned something new, and I love uh, your storytelling, uh, which is why you're here. So, um, well, that's news to me. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this week, uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. And again, I'm going to tell you again uh, follow us on Instagram. Um, it, it's a marvelous place to be at right now, and you get a daily dose of good news by our esteemed producer. Just trying to get back into his good books. So for this week, uh, it is goodbye from me. And Gan Canny. <laughs> <laughs>